Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and with me I've got Liam. In the words of Scanlan, two whores, two best whores in Managua. Mitch. Yeah, I'm not gonna... (laughs) I'm not gonna top that. (laughs) And we have uh, a very special guest back on this episode. You'll remember him from all of that Japanese softcore porn we talked about. It's Cameron. (laughs) Hey, guys. Hey. Hi. (laughs) <laughs> just a very clinical introduction <laughs> welcome back welcome back if if any of us Thank sound you. a little a little loose um gonna peer behind the curtain here this is our first recording for 2022 yeah baby. kicking the year off you'll obviously have heard last Whoa, week i didn't our... even know that that's sick. yeah that is, yeah. yeah last week you'll have heard our great uh interview with liam o'donnell writer director of beyond skyline and skylines if you missed that Go listen to that. It's very good. But now we are back to a a more traditional episode. And um, just to set everybody up, you may remember uh, from They Made Another One, the show you're listening to right now, uh, the William Castle Film Genero. It's usually how we picked out the movies that we were going to do. William Castle's on vacation. And so there's nobody to run the away. And so for the next little while. (laughs) Vacation. Yeah. yeah, a long you know, holiday forever. He's driving a truck somewhere. Let's yeah, it just, might be. It, <laughs> let's just say he's making a deposit in the riverbank. <laughs> it might be the next long while, Corey. We don't want to undersell it in case we really get into this thing. William Castle's on indefinite hiatus. Could be a little while, could be a long while. We don't know. Yeah, he's on sabbatical. And uh, you have to capitalize bat in that because he loves spooky things. But um, what we'll be doing instead is each week, um, one of us, uh, not Cameron, actually, one of the main three of us that are normally on the show. uh, (laughs) One of the professionals. (laughs) Don't say it like that. That's not very kind to our guest, Liam. Sorry, Cameron. uh, I get it. Babies shouldn't be allowed to choose. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll each be picking the movie that will happen the next week so mitch has picked out this hell yeah an honor to be the first the first film of uh 2022 wow yeah well first recorded episode of this year okay <laughs> yeah it's still it's on it's honorable it's honorable and then liam is gonna announce his pick at the end of this episode and at the end of the next episode um i am going to pick and then we're just gonna do that for a while um Corey, you've uh, you got to tell the audience about the glaring omission too. What what would we be doing next week if not for uh, oh, certain fuck. circumstances? Yeah. Okay, so, I think we mentioned that a couple weeks ago, that's and true. now you know. Yeah. What's yeah. Up? Okay. So um, pour one out. Pour one out. Yes. Yeah, so obviously, if you're if you know anything about anything, um, Scream Five is coming out as we record this in a matter of days, and um. We cannot go see it. Uh, the place that we live uh, is under a lockdown, essentially, currently, uh, of a wide variety of things amid the surge of COVID. And uh, one of those things that are closed is movie theaters. And there is no day and date online release for Scream. So we don't know when we're going to get to it. But as soon as we can, we will. Um 
but the episode will not be on time. And uh, if that's disappointing for you, buddy, it's disappointing for us. Yeah, you don't even know how bad you got it. If if you're disappointed, Liam... but you've seen Scream by the time you hear us saying these words, I wish I were you. I wish I could see Liam... it. Everybody says it's a scream. <laughs> Liam genuinely Boo. considered an elaborate road trip heist situation to get into a potential screening so we're pretty desperate but um that will be on its way as soon as possible um in the interest of that please do not email us spoilers i will find you and be very upset i'm gonna show up at your door and uh hand you a sternly written letter imagine emailing someone spoilers to something Honestly, dude. Oh yeah, it, I've, I've, I've heard about it happening on podcasts that I listen to. They've Jeez. they've done the whole don't spoil something because we were not able to see it right away, and then they they came out the next week saying, "Yeah, someone emailed us," and in the first line of their email was a spoiler for this movie. That's Holy my shit. trick. I don't check our emails that often. <laughs> exactly. If if you spoil Scream for <laughs> us, yeah. we'll see it months from now, and by then, with any luck, we'll have seen the movie. So, jokes on you. I don't check. I do. I don't check them that infrequently. With that said, but, uh, still email us. You know, like we will see it. It's just you know. Yeah. Who knows when? We'd love an email, but uh, you know, we're gonna hire someone else to check our emails for the <laughs> next month, just in case. Yeah. You rat bastards. Um. So with that all, you know, all of that said and done, uh, what we are talking about today. You look at the title. I'm picturing you, listener at home. You're uh in your car maybe maybe you're not at home i don't know where you listen to podcasts but uh maybe you're in a big truck and you're seeing huh they're talking about sorcerer um a movie whose title does not imply any meaningful attachment to a franchise whatsoever and to that i point you to our resident rule bender mitch and i ask him please do tell us why does sorcerer count well i am so glad you asked thank you for you know humoring me yet again with my rule bending antics sorcerer sorcerer so where to begin not a single wizard in the movie so well, i mean you gotta I can, have a pretty I, good shall reason. i tell you what it's related to first or shall i tell you like where the name sorcerer comes from uh i would like you to tell me what it's related to first okay as that is the question i did ask you <laughs> okay, okay, okay well i just <laughs> <laughs> that, that's fair man that's completely fair <laughs> nice so sorcerer is based off of a 1950s like thriller um originally it was a book by georges arnaud but uh in 1953 it was adapted by henri georges clouseau uh who made it into a movie called the wages of fear um it shares the same title with the novel. It's like the coolest fucking title you could possibly have for a movie. The Wages of Fear. It's pretty sick. Yeah. It doesn't get any better. And it's a really staunch, uh, well, for its day, it was a very staunch anti-capitalist uh, critique. In fact, when it came out in, well, it was released in 53, but when it came to America in 55, uh, 35 minutes were actually cut out of the movie because it was, it was having an, it, yeah, it was seen as having an anti-Americanism um, streak running through it. Uh, the movie has this sort of French poetic realism, Italian neorealism thing going on, and the oil company in the movie that's sort of the bad guy plays a much larger role, and uh, it 
was directed by Henri Georges Clouseau. He was a big existentialist and a cynic, and he saw what America was doing in like the post-war years with its sort of oil diplomacy around the world. And so he made this movie um, based off the source material and a uh, very cynical movie. And the, yeah, it was, I think it was banned in a few other places, but the Americans cut 35, which is like quite a lot. <laughs> Turned it into a short film. Yeah. Because uh, pretty much what you're doing is you're removing the motivation. So it's based off that, which is uh, sort of a pot boiler about guys who have to carry nitroglycerin through perilous terrain to for an oil company to blow up a well. Uh, similar plot with this one, same source material. Interestingly enough, William Friedkin, who directed Sorcerer, says that it's not a sequel or it's not a not like a, a remake, rather. Um, but I think it still definitely qualifies. Uh, yeah i guess this is it's getting caught in the weeds of um do you consider two adaptations of the same thing related to each other or are they both related to the source material like that's the question because if you didn't know there was a book and you knew what the wages of fear was and then you washed uh watched uh sorcerer you would probably just assume that was the intent yeah yeah, you would just you if you didn't know that there was a novel that came before it, you would think it's a remake. And it, I mean, same source material, like similar in a lot of ways. Same sorcerer material. Same sorcerer. Oh yeah, that reminds me. Where does the name sorcerer come from? It's actually like kind of an irreverent. I don't want to say irreverent, but apparently William Friedkin was just lying on his couch one day listening to the album Sorcerer by Miles Davis, and he was like, "Hey, you know, that's kind of a cool name." <laughs> I'm not kidding, and uh, I'm g- I'm gonna rip off uh, <laughs> the Wages of Fear and Miles, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so he took Sorcerer over the Wages of Fear, which wouldn't be my choice. But he also started thinking more and more about the name Sorcerer. Sorcerer, what does it evoke? And it evokes like a a wizard or like a mystic sort of godly individual controlling the fate of people. Um, and so in many ways, there's kind of an unseen wizard in, in, in sorcerer and, uh, it, that that's fate. So that's kind of where it gets the title from. Uh, but not to be confused with Manos, the hands of fate yeah. which is also about that exact thing. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's fair. I think that's a reasonable assessment. What I'll ask next is, um, because I don't know where everybody else is at. Obviously, you're a fucking sorcerer historian, so <laughs> I know that you're familiar with the film. <laughs> um, but, uh, Cam, I know you checked out the movie with Mitch today. Um, did you know anything about it, or had you seen it before? Or No. No, I didn't. I, I just went in blind. Nice. Yeah. Sometimes it's that simple. Sometimes you just walk in and movie's on, and you're like, hmm, what could this be? Yeah. I'm going to that's pretty cool what a movie to just be like i have no idea what this is i'm going to watch it yeah i was very confused with the kind of like beginning structure basically yeah yeah when we get into that that'll be cool yeah so i don't know but i was yeah i just went in in blind liam were you in the same boat no, I uh I've been meaning to watch this movie and The Wages of Fear probably for about 5 years because um my uh second favorite podcast host, I don't want to say first favorite podcast host cuz I worry it will off- offend poor Thank Corey, you. but uh Oh. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to uh Liam, actually uh do you want to take over? <laughs> I got to I just something came up right now. <laughs> I forgot that I had scheduled. I just it just clapped onto my calendar. I have to go cry. So oh if you want to do this one, I think we'll be okay. 
<laughs> All right. So uh, my second favorite podcast host right behind me is uh, this dude named uh, Jason Piles. He has he's done a bunch of different podcasts, um, horror movie podcast, horror movie weekly. But he also had a podcast for a good long while called Movie Podcast Weekly. Um, and on one of those episodes in like 2016 or something, I, I heard him raving about this movie Sorcerer as uh, a um, seldom talked about masterpiece that he just he loves and is astonished by. And he he said the basic premise, which is which is uh, these guys in a truck that have to transport a bunch of really volatile dynamite across um, wicked terrain and i thought man that sounds so cool and he also mentioned that it's uh, uh um possibly a remake of the wages of fear which has a similar premise and so that premise just sounded so good to me so i've had both of them on my watch list for five years and then other stuff has just uh taken precedent over it but it's always sort of been on my mind um so when mitch talked about wanting to do it i was i was very excited because mitch would be my uh my guiding light into finally fulfilling my dreams um so I was very excited to see this. Aw, that's so beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm in a similar position in that I've been meaning to watch this movie fucking forever uh, for a very similar reason because, um, first of all, the poster is fucking awesome. Uh, second of all, the premise is Do you want to read the tagline on it? Um, uh, this poster does not get big enough for me to see the only wages on worth running for, dying for, killing for are the wages of fear. I think we're looking at two different posters, but that's, that's the one on cool. IMDb, man. I'm on, uh, I was looking at the Wikipedia page. Fair. Oh, that poster is also sick. The poster on, uh, Wikipedia is the one that I'm thinking of. It's just the truck on the bridge. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> that's but, pretty um, iconic. Another reason I wanted to watch this movie is I'm a really big fan of Tangerine Dream. And this is one of their like very iconic scores. It was kind of the score that established them as a group worth going to get to score your movie. And then after this, they went on to do like a bunch of other great movie music. Like if you watch Thief or um, they also did Near Dark and like Firestarter. Uh, and obviously they have some music in Risky Business. Um, one album that's good that's worth checking out if you go on Spotify is a made-for-TV movie called The Park Is Mine, uh, which is a pretty it's sick a great title. title. But uh, the soundtrack to that movie also fucking slaps. So I was like, it's finally time to catch up to what these boys were getting up to in these big, silly trucks. And uh, here we are. <laughs> Mighty so- Machines. <laughs> It's dude, this is extremely mighty machines. This is like what if Mighty Machines was like rated X. Yeah, what if Mighty Machines and like existential fate like collide? Yeah. In like yeah. the South American mountains. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, Sorcerer, as we've set up, is um it's not just four random dudes who end up needing to do this. It's four guys who are essentially have their backs against the wall for various reasons. Um We've got Nilo, who is played by Francisco Rabal, who is some kind of assassin, uh, who we see kill a man in Mexico at the beginning of the movie. Um, there is uh, a character named Kasim, who we see in Jerusalem, who is a Palestinian militant who blows up something, and uh, the IDF like swarm in, and he escapes, and the rest don't get away. Um, there's like corrupt banker. <laughs> 
in Paris who is being brought up on fraud charges named uh, Victor who uh, has to escape because uh, there's no way for him to get a collateral to get up on the charges. And then in New Jersey, uh, we have Irish gangsters robbing a church that is tied to the Italian mob for organizing bingo. And they steal all this money, but then they get into an argument while driving away and there's an accident. And the only drive, the only person who gets away is the driver whose name is Jackie. And then they all need to, you know, escape essentially their current uh, life threatening situations. And they end up in a village in Colombia that as Mitch sort of set up relies on an oil company for any sort of uh, like wages or employment or anything. And, um, they're all sort of just stuck there and sort of wallowing and you see like the grim conditions of working for that oil company. And, uh, as one of the oil wells explodes and they're like, okay, we need people who can drive. Um, they actually pick out four different people and the aforementioned assassin kills one of the guys so he can be the driver instead. Um, and then they have to drive 200 miles with like essentially like expired, past its best before date dynamite which is seeping nitroglycerin and risks exploding i'd say the trucks are past the expiry date too <laughs> yeah they're all built from like scrap bullshit it's yeah. incredible <laughs> that they got these things to run and uh it's interesting because you i feel like this movie is always set up as it's dudes in a tr- in a truck two trucks who kind of hate each other too well everybody's on edge because this is like the worst situation you could possibly be in yeah uh but um yeah so we've got directed by william friedkin who you would you know exorcist french connection you know to live and die in la um it's written by uh waylon green who wrote the wild bunch uh war games and robocop 2 uh as miss mentioned based on a book by george arnaud edited two, we got two editors um we've got robert k lambert who worked on three kings rollerball and rush hour 2 and then we've got bud smith who worked on Flashdance, The Karate Kid, Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, also The Exorcist, and To Live and Die in L.A. We've also got two cinematographers, which is interesting. So we've got John M. Stephens, and we've also got Dick Bush. (laughs) Remarkable restraint. Thank you for that. (laughs) I was waiting for the laugh, and it never came. I knew if I took um, myself on mute, I might disturb the entire <laughs> podcast. But that's, that's I, well, I waited for it, and then it didn't come. But uh, he worked on a movie called Twins of Evil, which is another sick-sounding name, and also a TV adaptation of Alice in Wonderland from 1966. And then, obviously, again, music is by Tangerine Dream. Uh, the four main actors that we're worried about in this movie, the four that we see the most of, are uh, Roy Scheider, uh, Bruno Kramer, uh, Francisco Rabal, and Amidou. Um, those are uh, I don't know what character names are going to end up using I'm going to go with the ones that they use while in Colombia so that's Dominguez, Serrano Nilo and Martinez those are our drivers Okay, that's all the setup that you really need yeah. that's the situation status wise it's, it's interesting that you you know you, you listed off everybody who's in it <laughs> I don't know if, if you know anything like about the production of this movie but it was a complete fucking nightmare and like none the budget like doubled <laughs> it, well, it, it ballooned to twice its yeah. size and then it, also like everybody who was supposed to be in it backed out for various different reasons and um this movie kind of has like a tragic history uh, in a lot of ways. Um, 
originally Steve McQueen was supposed to play the role that Roy Scheider plays. Uh, Marcello, Mast- Marcello Mastriani plays the role that Francisco Rabal plays as like the uh, the assassin. Uh, and then Leo Ventura uh, plays the the Frenchman, and then uh, the only other remaining <laughs> the only other remaining guy, um, Amadou. The only remaining uh, actor uh, was was there from the get go, and he stayed there, and he was just somebody that Friedkin had seen. Uh, Steve McQueen <laughs> famously was uh, was married to Ali McGraw around the very same time that this movie happened. And uh, he was just recently married. He didn't really want to go to the Dominican Republic to shoot a movie. So he was like, you know, if you can give my my wife a part in the movie, then I'll come to the Dominican Republic. Like, this is the best script I've ever read. And uh, Freakin's like, I'm not writing her a part in this movie. This movie definitely doesn't pass the Bechdel test, by the way. Cameron pointed that out earlier today. It it. it- it could not less no. uh, pass it less. And then so, but granted, it really yeah. it really is a movie about guys being dudes. Yeah, so. guys being dudes like. playing with explosives in South America. Anyway, so so Steve McQueen makes a counter offer. What's like, better oh. than this? <laughs> he says, "If you not a, not a cell phone in sight. <laughs> if you if you won't give her a part <laughs> in the movie, we'll make her an executive producer." And Friedkin says, "That's a bullshit title." So Steve McQueen says, <laughs> "Okay." I'm gone. The other star that was supposed to be in there, Marcello Mastroianni, great uh, Italian film star, was fighting for custody of his daughter with his ex-wife, Catherine Deneuve. And uh, he was like, you know, I'd like to like have my daughter as like a, you know, a play like an important role in my life. I don't want to lose her. So I'm not going to go and make this movie in South America. They were then they're like, oh, shit, like, who are we going to get? Who are we going to get? Apparently, they asked Robert Mitchum at one point. Uh, oh my god yeah. and <laughs> Mitchum apparently was like he said something to the effect of like why on earth would I go all the way to Ecuador just to fall out of a truck I can do that at home uh, <laughs> or something <laughs> like <Fantastic>. that <laughs> which is just like a classic Mitchum line um, so this movie like they're like who the fuck are we going to cast so uh, finally they settled on who they settled on and the studios liked Roy Scheider because he was fresh out of Jaws uh, so he had some serious star power. Um, but th- there were a bunch of foreign names and all the producers were, were particularly anxious about that because while these guys were stars in places like Italy and Spain, they were not very well known uh, in other places of the world and mostly America, really. Um, uh, and so they were very nervous with the production. And then to make matters worse, this movie premiered the same time as A New Hope. So uh, you have two very different ideas of blockbusters coming out at the exact same time. And this movie died a pretty quick death uh, as a consequence of that. But also, like, it just didn't resonate with anybody. Uh, we can, we can yeah, get into that I mean, later. It's but... not the most accessible movie in the world. No. You can't really, like, even if you didn't release it in direct competition with Star Wars, like, that wasn't going to suddenly ensure that it did well yeah but there's it's just like two extremes of like of what a blockbuster used to be and then like what blockbusters would become like it's it's like a complete paradigm shift as as well but also i totally see what you're saying it's a very subtle movie it it's got weird pacing and and like it only really settles into like its its direction like halfway through. It's a weird movie, and it's it, marketing it gets, is it weird. Gets esoteric near the end. It's in like four different languages. Yeah, the movie was a nightmare like, to market too because 
I don't know if you know this, but it was produced jointly by Paramount and Uni- well, Paramount and Universal did the distribution, but Paramount uh, put the money up for the movie. And at this time, Paramount was owned by Gulf and Western, which was an oil company. And the movie is about demonizing an yeah. oil company. It sure is. So you, you've <laughs> got this weird dynamic where they're shooting in the Dominican Republic because the guy who owns Gulf Western or some serious executive there pretty much owns all of the Dominican Republic as well. So he's like, oh, yeah, just like come and shoot here and we'll make it accessible to you. Um, and you can shoot where... Did he not read the script? Did he... <laughs> well, actually, that's, that's funny not... you say that. Because Friedkin played a joke where he was like, I think storyboarding or something. Or I'm not sure what it was, but he sent like a rush to the executives for the scene, like the boardroom scene with the, um, with the American oil executives. And instead of using the actual photo, he used just like a photo of like the Gulf and Western board, (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of hilarious. Yeah. Talk about biting the head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, production hell, nobody really knew how to market it. And so it died a quick death, uh, but eventually it had a second release uh, 25 years later. Uh, and it like in theaters yeah, a second theatrical oh, cool. release 25 years later or, or over 25 years later um but the the rights to distribution expired after 25 years uh friedkin took paramount to court i think and uh to find out who had the the rights to distribute it and then i think 20th century bought the rights and yeah it had a second run it would absolutely be a hit today, I think, or at it, least and more it accessible. It is no, now, but, I'm, I, but yeah, I just mean like even without the context, though, like like this would be like an if you like a successful A twenty four movie, yeah, if it came out today, <laughs> like it definitely suits a modern vibe a lot more. I think. I think so too. It, it's it, well, like seventies movies are pretty cynical, but this one is just like <laughs> grueling and miserable. Yeah, it's not only yeah. cynical though, just like like stylistically and then narratively speaking the flow of the whole thing it's i was very, saying very it, minimal it's like it's it's like a less like character driven safety brothers like i was saying i think that's apt oh my god could you picture like an un- remake of this again and you just got like the uncut gems crew to make it yeah seriously like <laughs> oh, with adam with- sandler and the roy scheider <laughs> part and when tricks point never doing the music and yeah the that's dream. that's why it came yeah. up yeah yeah, no, seriously, oh, it's I, somebody called the safety. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, I don't know. I I think it makes sense that uh that it does have like a better critical reappraisal today. Um, because yeah, in terms of like it, it felt pretty modern in a lot of ways. Yeah, so I guess with with um Mitch graciously giving us kind of like the the context that we really need to kind of dig in here. Let's just kind of let's get going. Um, so. Let's, uh, Liam, you were anticipating this, so uh, I would love to ask uh, what you thought now that you finally had a chance to see it. I'll say the I was very pleased. The uh, tension absolutely lived <laughs> up to what I was uh, what I was hoping for. I mean, that idea of like just feeling the atmosphere that the characters are feeling. I love movies that do that. You know, like texas chainsaw massacre right when that movie starts it feels so hot and like the heat is just coming through the screen and when this movie is deep in the jungle and it's pouring rain oh my gosh it it i felt like that was that was happening to me even though it's the dead of winter here um so the the big moments in this movie absolutely were just amazing and like 
you've got to see this movie to be- to believe it. Um, but I must admit that I found, and this is probably a common criticism, um, and I would say people either love it or like don't get down with it. And I did not quite get down with the first 50 minutes or so of this movie. Um, I wasn't totally, totally off it, but I did think that it it was just kind of a drag, especially like knowing where the movie is going. I know the premise of it. So I just like, I wanted to get there and um, um, my tastes like don't really line up with like a lot of uh, the, the stuff that this movie puts its uh, characters through to set them up, like, like mob stuff, crime, uh, terrorism. Like I don't really watch movies about that stuff, right? Like war and stuff. And so, um, it just wasn't super appealing to me and and I, I totally get why they did it um, and I think it does it makes the movie feel more grand and and like an epic and in book form I, I think I would um, have liked it a lot m- more um, even though the the filmmaking is is comparable to like how I imagine a great writer would deal with this material. Like it, it does feel really adept all the way through, and there's some really cool imagery in the beginning and um, uh, some good action too. Like there's a car crash as it, it's sort of the, the the framing of that first fifty minutes is like you center on a character for about ten minutes, and then you go to another character, and that's how they they set up each of the characters that are eventually going to go on to drive this truck and. And there's some really cool stuff in there, but but all in all, I I would have preferred um, probably to just get to the truck sooner because I found that I learned a whole lot about the characters when they were dealing with the truck stuff and like when they were talking to each other, talking a little bit about their backstory here and there. I found all of that super effective, um, and I didn't think that the um, long preamble was necessary to get me invested in the characters i i think that i could have gathered that if we could have got to the to the truck sooner and then i could have just like picked up um bits of the character along the way and it it still would have worked because the situation that these characters are in is so grueling anyways that um uh it does a lot of the heavy lifting so so that's where i'm at and uh um that might change for me on rewatch, but also because that first half is is so uh, slow to me, I'm I don't even feel like uh, super compelled to to watch it again. Um, as amazing as I thought that second half was, so so that's where I'm at with it. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's totally fair. And so Cam, going in with uh, no real expectations or uh, sort of sense of what you were getting into, how do you uh, how do you feel about it? Um, I really enjoyed the whole thing. Uh, I thought the beginning was, I, I liked the presentation of it as basically vignettes where he's not really giving you any direction whatsoever of like how these people are going to end up in a situation like together. Like the four stories feel like they could not begin any more differently and separately right which i liked and stylistically speaking i've liked how the first half of the movie like i said to mitch when we were watching it i felt like it was really borrowing from like a godard aesthetic like felt a lot like 
breathless to me, like hard cuts, uh, kind of seedy characters, not really understanding their motivations or what's going on. Uh, but once things actually developed into the part, like once they're in Colombia, it's it definitely started to come together a lot more for me too, beyond simply stylistically. Like, contrary to what Liam was saying, I, I find some of that kind of source material that they're working with very interesting. Like, seen with like the riots following the explosion at the uh at the oil rig and stuff like that it was kind of bringing to mind like 100 years of solitude like depiction of banana massacre uh mm-hmm. like i don't know i i found it very interesting that it was like kind of these four foreigners to colombia like navigating what was such a crisis like and such like a bleak living circumstance in Colombia, a lot of which could be attributed to like foreign involvement, like for example, the American oil company. So yeah, I was finding that kind of thing really interesting as like a, as a setup. And I think a lot of it was a lot of that intro. I kind of saw the vignettes just like introduce the character. That part like introduces the context of Colombia, like at the time, what these characters are going to like kind of just the world that they're navigating through. And like that kind of, to me, does a great job at setting up why they're down to drive in like trucks that they basically just throw together loaded with nitroglycerin. Cause it's like, well, we're either going to die or we're going to manage to get out of here and death is better than staying. So like I th- I found that part of it like really interesting, fascinating. But then yeah, once the once the truck stuff starts like I mean that is when the movie is at its best. They should have called the movie Truck. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 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 with you for sure there. Uh <laughs> Yeah. I also think um just as a quick uh, thing, I think that the oil cuz the oil company was deciding who was taking it. I mean, they mentioned one of them was a Greyhound truck driver at one point, or a Greyhound bus driver, I should say. They definitely just picked it because it was the four random fucking foreign guys who would probably cause shit if they stayed. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think it's... I Personally, I prefer the original movie. Um, and I still, like, fucking love this movie. But I think it does a better job in, like, the, in the earlier part, like... Uh, they don't have like all like these like backstories that come in. It's all just people in the same camp, and you you learn about the characters more, and you learn more about the characters, and they're, they're less uh, like placeholders or or like tropes. Like they actually have like more meaningful interactions, and it's a much stronger anti-capitalist message. They really dig into that, and it's much more explicit. And I think that's why it was such a controversial film in the U.S. because it at that time with the way the world's power was drawn if you were anti-capitalist you were anti-american in the 50s um into many people yeah i just into many I don't people think, still yeah so i don't think sorcerer needed that angle to such a degree like i feel like it's just the setup i think does a good enough job at making you consider those aspects like a i guess like an anti-capitalist perspective like really giving you a bleak picture of what yeah like a lot of South American countries went through um, under that like kind of American imperial influence. But uh, 
it's a lot of it to me once the truck stuff starts <laughs> truck stuff is um <laughs> is about yeah like kind of how mitch brought up friedkin's uh purpose of the title being sorcerer to do with like fate and just everything about it just screams out like the the chance associated with that this nitroglycerin could go off at any moments like weathering the elements of this horrible like torrential downpour going on at certain parts and that just yeah i don't know that just that just gave it like such a compelling feel and like so the unlikely provenance of the four men yeah just well, just also, so exciting like i don't i don't know it was uh i i really really enjoyed that part of it for sure yeah and i think too that um because it's more like uh cosmically interested in its themes than it is like in terms of like the material reality um not a hundred percent because obviously uh after the oil well explodes and they go back into the village and they just find like completely burnt corpses and they like riot in response essentially which you know is justifiable given like the danger of the working conditions in the first place but all that's to say um it really does lean more into um that more like fate does what it does because it's like like when you watch the entire bridge sequence with the second truck the sorcerer truck and how just like wildly calamitous that was and then to go out because of a pop tire yeah, yeah. that's what i was just gonna say like, flat tire i was like are yeah. you kidding me it's five minutes and to that's nine in it. paris <laughs> yeah well and oh, it's funny because that, that, that scene so starts good. That scene starts, and it's like the first time these two guys are talking to each other. So you're like, hmm, no way this scene could end well. Yeah, is it the first time and, you have uh, any character development or like the two people? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I, what I was going to say, actually, first of all, I did like the movie quite a bit. But um, I actually liked the opening a lot. Um, Interesting. And I think part of nice. why is because... Um, it sets everything up, but what doing it that way, what it manages to avoid... And I feel like a less well-handled movie would do this is you don't have to set up like we don't have to get to that village and there's six different conversations that all just explain why one of the other guys is here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, like sitting in a bar and it's like, you yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like on the one hand, I'd rather see it. But also, I think the the vignettes themselves do a good job of being fairly restrained with the context that they are providing. So it's enough for you to recognize like this situation is so bad that there was no way out, but this train wreck and, uh, but it doesn't spend so much time on it as to really like sort of plod with it. I sympathize completely with the frustration of like, I want to get to the truck stuff if you know it's coming, but I think just, taking it for what it is truck stuff and seeing them yeah. uh get there of their own accord and sort of sl- gradually cross paths and sort of the the truck stuff i can't keep saying truck stuff but the truck stuff not being an afterthought but you know being a second phase of this situation as a whole i like that and um obviously i think the second half of the movie's fucking I, great i also Just expertly done i really enjoy to um to add on to your vignette uh, kind of analysis there, I really enjoy how all four of the vignettes like 
included death. Yeah. Whether it's the car yeah. crash, the suicide, um, like the assassination or the like terrorist plot. Um, it's, I think it really helps out with that ultimate like kind of cosmic fate angle that the whole truck stuff ends up taking because ultimately all four characters even when they cross the bridge and they get through all this crazy shit like what they're running from their fate still catches up with them when they all end up dying and i think like the the vignette angle they're like really i don't know like definitely looking back on the whole thing i think that's like a really nice way that the whole thing is tied together even though that like the acts of the movie themselves feel so different it's nice when they can feel that different, but like looking back on it, it's like, oh, that, that like that makes so much sense. Yeah. On top yeah. of that, Friedkin, he once said, his, so he made like the, the French connection years before. And, and if you'll remember at the start of that movie, there's like a murder like right off the bat. And his philosophy was, his philosophy was that if you start a movie with a murder within the first 15 minutes, you'll have the audience's attention for the next half hour. And he kind of, in this movie, he does that <laughs> with several murders and he gets 50 minutes out of you. Um, that's funny. Um, he's He shot four people and he's like, I'm going to make the world's longest movie. World's every 15 minutes. He just every 15 minutes, you just kill somebody else and you can just keep going. You just keep getting them. Yeah. So he pushes um, his luck a bit, but I think it works. Yeah. Um, I do think the part where it gets bogged down for me is the chunk where you're seeing them work up until truck stuff. Not that I the think building it's the truck bad. sequence slaps though. No, no, no. What I mean is like the part where they're working oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, you're recognizing just the material realities of the situation in the village. As you said, Mitch, because it's less interested in the anti-capitalist critique overall, it does feel like it's some of that just feels like cynicism for the sake of it because it's very grim. Yeah. And if if it wanted to truncate itself anywhere or if I rather um if I were to truncate any part of it, it might be that just because the second half of it's so good yeah. that it's like, if we want you look, look, Billy, you get your preamble or you get your truck stuff. Yeah. But like, we gotta, we gotta figure <laughs> one of these out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and because the original is like focused on like neo-realism aesthetics and, and it, it, it kind of gets down into the squalor and shows how these people live and the, the suffering of their lives and doesn't really tell you much about where they came from. You kind of have to infer it works much better because it's weighted better, uh, both dramatically and just in terms of length. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I do think it's it cool, though, and I really like... Yeah. I will say, if this may not have been the cast that he wanted, but I think it worked out pretty well. It works well. good because like, oh, it, yeah. they're just dudes. Like, like Roy Scheider was big. Guys being okay, Roy no, Scheider was big, but he's not Steve McQueen big. I was just thinking about that. It's actually, if you break down this movie into that whole like guys being dudes thing it actually is like without like without the extremely (laughs) bleak like horribly cynical aspects of it like it's literally like a bunch of fucking like dudes that are just (laughs) tired of slaving away for the man all day they build a truck and go on a road trip or like a suicide mission. Our critical lens is is that Sorcerer's a road trip movie. <laughs> Literally, dude, there's like 
there's National drinking. Lampoon in the crate of nitroglycerin. <laughs> no, there's drinking, there's explosions, there's guys being... Like, the fucking sequence where they're building the truck, like, that... That's peak guys no, being... No, it is. It's, like, I don't know. I Maybe that's why I really, really liked it, because I like... Like, I love yeah, bleak, like cynical <laughs> ruminations on fate and death and film and stuff like that where you feel like there's no escape but i also really love guys being dudes yeah oh, oh, liam how do you feel about guys being dudes <laughs> i love it that's why i do this podcast <laughs> <laughs> dude Although, like while it's guys being dudes like they're not really boys throughout most of the movie most, most yeah, true. <laughs> that is a nice, guys, that's a good part. It's of guys it. being colleagues. Yeah, yeah I, I like that they all kind of hate each other. Colleagues at least, at least have no affection for each other. Or like they threaten each other with guns. Like they, <laughs> they murder the other one so they can take part in this dangerous uh, road trip. Yeah, it's incredible how much mental bandwidth they have for hating each other when they're in the most high stress possible situation. Very true. Oh my god, um, the fucking scene! Like, I found it so funny to see the dudes like directing the guy driving, <laughs> like, some, some, yeah, like when they're going like across those two fuck bridge moments and like having to decide being who's driving and who's directing. Like, f- for fuck's sake! Like, if being the dude outside, just like. I was just like imagining myself like backing a friend out like near a snowbank or something like that. Yeah, just... it's basically the same. Yeah. Which which would you guys rather this... be if you if you had to be the the driver or the guider in, in the truck? And I would want to be the, the guy truck. who goes through the bridge first, not the guy who goes across the bridge second. Because yeah, really absolutely. <laughs> I want to be Roy Scheider specifically. Yeah. I don't want to. Oh, well, Francisco uh, Rabal's got the gun, but it doesn't go so well for him. Also, I'm just gonna quickly add in before it gets irrelevant on um, supplemental viewing if you're a fan of sorcerer would be backer starring mac demarco as dave fuck (laughs) what it's a good reference this movie like i know when friedkin made it like the main movie that he had in mind was like treasure of the sierra madre um was like a massive influence on this i would take it a step further and say the african queen although it's much more lighthearted and fun (laughs) i really like how the movie looks um in particular i think that what what's nice is that it does feel like there's a bit of a difference between um how the movie is shot before the truck stuff and how the movie is shot after the truck stuff. I wonder if that has anything to do with there being two cinematographers or if that's just a coincidence. And different locations too. I think different locales. Yeah. The, the, the opening sequence in, in Mexico is like I think it was shot in Veracruz, but it's it's like yeah. stunning. Like like just with. It's so smooth. And, like the way that like the Tangerine Dream like score comes in there is so good. Um, just a great way to open your movie. Uh, all around, I, like they all feel so different and great. Yeah, the only other Friedkin I've seen is The Exorcist. So it's funny, like seeing another one that just starts somewhere yeah. completely different the, than the movie actually ends up I, taking place. I was thinking that when it cuts to when it's Mexico and then Jerusalem I was like Billy Friedkin loves starting his movie in a really hot place. <laughs> yeah. Just, and, and, uh, and back to Safdie's like uncut gems vibes too. Dude, dude we're blowing this shit wide the fuck open. <laughs> <laughs> this uncut gems is a remake of the wages of fear. Okay. <laughs> dude like, I love it when in uncut gems they get to all the jewel stuff. <laughs> it's extremely sick. The basketball stuff is my favorite. <laughs> no, they they gotta um, they gotta love this movie though. Like I refuse there's to believe definitely, that they would. No, there's a hundred percent. But there's even shades of like the Exorcist in the opening when I'm picturing when uh uh 
Amidu is first walking out and meeting his like other guy, and it's that shot that's really far away that sort of like follows him through the crowd, and they head out and they go further. Uh, that had shades of The Exorcist to me. I don't know why. It just felt maybe the locale is playing into it too, but it just felt like part and parcel with like what you'd expect to get from Friedkin. Yeah. Um, but yeah. and then later in the movie, though, like uh, the way like I <laughs> I've never been more stressed in my fucking life than seeing that truck near the edge of anything and the way it's shot just like a lot of like low angles on the trucks so and smoke see, like oh, and, and, but you can see like right where the precipice of death is at basically all times yeah and just cutting quickly into like this the sweatiest grossest looking man driving a truck just heaving breaths and then a dude just like another guy just holding on to like the side of where the door should be crumpling and underneath just, like oh god yeah no the the um the use of like the elements and how like the the trucks like affecting them like i don't know like the the way that the truck like manipulates the terrain like i don't know if they were having to like reset up shit for like different takes and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. it it was done like so convincingly and effectively and in terms of the elements stuff too one thing i always love in movies like this like in the scene where it was pouring rain um or like one of them, I guess there are a few, like when they're out in the forest, I absolutely love, like you said, these characters are just like covered in sweat and looking so shitty, but when they're like absolutely <laughs> fucking drenched and they just like, don't give a shit anymore. I was just like, that's always one of the worst things that I consider about like being in that situation. It's like, oh my God, like imagine just being fucking soaking wet. Yeah. Yeah. You get so you can do about it. That you stop caring because they're wearing the same clothes the whole time. Yeah, it's like, oh you God, be the, it's so the fucking you'd be the stink a white, man. A white linen suit is such a bad choice for this mission <laughs> yeah like uh, <laughs> horrible what were you the thinking? only dude who made a good call was um Kasim is like i'm gonna wear a sweatband yeah. uh, like, seriously <laughs> it's, it's interesting too because um like francisco rabal when he did this movie I, th- I believe like barely spoke any english or his his, his grasp of the language was quite limited and like he has like what a presence like even though he barely speaks in the movie like as the assassin like near the end when he's shot and he's like cackling in the car as he drives as Roy Scheider drives in circles through that weird rock formation the film goes to like existential and sort of fantastic heights that sort of skew reality and blend with fantasy and fate and it's it's so brilliant every time i see it i i, I notice more of it yeah that was probably my favorite part of the movie too honestly, really not the bridge crossing um bridge crossing was sick but that whole weird like hallucinatory sequence at the end like after after the kind of like i don't know what you call them like raider guys like try to take over the truck i don't know i just felt like i thought that was like in a movie of this style one of like the best depictions of like oh and then there was one like how we're down to the last guy and it instantly becomes so much more cerebral yeah i really really liked that yeah well and the landscape that he's in looks so alien and the, the oh, color tone like, the color power yeah and tone. I, don't, I don't know i don't know who landscape or land uh location scouted that but they deserve a fucking award Absolutely. and then yeah that like that purpley blue like space tone yeah. like it really feel like that but it's just like he is completely nowhere and also the shot um 
through the windshield that I don't know if it's just that's the reflection in the windshield or if they double exposured it, but like you see Roy Scheider and what he's looking at simultaneously, oh, like yeah. just this rocky landscape that is completely nondescript. And um, yeah, that whole sequence, and it feels like such a that is so good, I think, because it is such a departure from not even just life in the village, which has its own sort of impoverished grimness, but like from the vignettes because they were living fairly lavish or established lives, depending on who's who, um, or at least had like a unified purpose with whoever they worked with. And yeah, at least they weren't felt, in like complete solitude. It felt very stable. And then the end of it being so destabilizing, like the, the arc of that's very clear, I think, which is cool. Agreed. Liam, what about you? What, what are you, what are you thinking? How's the vibes? Um, I don't know what to say. I mean, I I think you guys are killing it. <laughs> well, is there anything that we haven't gotten to yet where you're like, we need to talk about, we need to talk about the 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 water bowls that that use to wash their face? Like, what de- <laughs> are we missing? Any details here? Well, um, I could gush about the uh, the scene where they got to blow up that tree, though. Oh, oh so hell yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah, go go off, dude. Yeah, so like though the I, tree I, stuff. The, the, the tree, tree stuff. stuff. The tree um, truck I, stuff. I loved the truck stuff. I loved the I loved the bridge stuff within the truck stuff, and I also loved the hallucinatory <laughs> stuff. Um but with all within the truck stuff if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, but maybe at least at least top three best truck stuff was the tree stuff when they encountered just this giant I guess it was a fallen tree, right? But just massive. Yeah. And yeah. uh, it's blocking their path, and so they got to figure out how to get. Uh, they can't really go around it. They got to figure out how to go either like past it, over it, through it, and uh, so we watch as um, what was the character's name? The homie who decides to blow it up, Cassim. Cassim, uh, I loved him, and he's just like he just engineers it. He's like, "Yo, I think I could figure this out." And so we watch like it's so. This is why. Uh, this is like what makes me down with the movie's length, even though at the at the beginning of the movie, when it really dwells on uh, on like them doing the work and uh, setting up their origin stories. Like I, I sort of I thought the the lowest point in the movie was what you said, Corey, where they were just like working once they all arrived. Um because I, I really right. found something to like in all their little little uh, prologue origin stories. But then... Yeah. Um, I think it's crucial, but if I had to pick a lowest point, it would probably be that. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, though I, I could have shortened the movie in that way, I really loved the movie taking its time with uh, showing how Kasim was like engineering this thing that I didn't even realize what he was trying to do for a good long while. I thought they were going to oh, yeah. like... I thought that, they were going to build a ramp to like drive over the tree or something. Um, that would have been so like <laughs> talk about some X games. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> going to build that's a jump. Even, the original that scene has even more elaborate engineering, but <laughs> Oh, but man, I, mean, I got sequence uh, really uh, shows you the benefit of like rolling with a fugitive terrorist in your squad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Are any of you guys fugitive terrorists? If so, we, we I'll never tell we made a good choice. <laughs> 
having you as podcast hosts. Um, yeah, I just I thought that was that was so cool just watching it happen, and it was um, it really gave me time to just like put myself in the situation and think about what they must be thinking about, wondering if it was gonna work. Um, because at this point, we're we're well past an hour into the movie. I knew the movie was two hours going in, and I was so shocked that none of them had died yet because they've made it over the bridge by this point. Um, and I, I'm pretty certain that all four of them aren't going to make it through. And so I'm wondering at what point is are the stakes going to be lifted even more because we're going to see that oh man this isn't this is a dangerous thing and that's got to be orchestrated that's got to be illustrated by uh, having someone die and i think a lesser movie would have had someone die far earlier like right when they started off on the trek but at this point we've seen them uh be in such mortal danger and they're all still alive so i'm wondering is something going to happen is they're building this explosion and um and so I was just I was on the edge of my seat for that one as well. And then when the explosion hits and it's in slow motion and you're just watching it and like you know that they actually blew up that tree and I don't know if uh, if Kasim has made it far enough away from the explosion because he was sprinting away at that point and it's just like it's just riveting stuff that that I think you could show that scene and the bridge scene to anyone uh anyone who speaks any language who is into any sort of movie. And I think that they would, they would be into it and get it. I just thought that was incredible. Uh, this movie is loaded with, uh, extremely good explosions and just effects generally. Like, yeah. Um, like the bit where Roy Scheider hits that guy with the shovel. Oh fuck. Oh my God. Like, that yeah. scene is fucked. Like, it's just like, he's, He's already kind of lost his mind doing this incredibly dangerous thing, but now he's losing his humanity as he's, you know, just murdering somebody on a like a mountainside with a shovel. Um, yeah, that scene is is horrifying, and it's right after that, ex- like that big explosion, and he's just going deeper and deeper into his own mind and getting, you know, yeah. getting more even blood the on his uh, even the explosion that Kasim helps rig at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. I didn't know how that was going to play out, but like just the way it's shot, like the, the human toll mm. of it is so immediately clear. Oh, and obviously yeah. it's in line with a particular like cynicism streak, but like people are on the ground and just yeah. bloodied and tossed the around. And like, cut. it's so grim. The following cut yeah. to the music after that is extraordinary. And I can see what Cameron's saying where there's like, there's elements of Godard in this because Friedkin also loves a good jump cut. And, like that is a really good example of, of like I think it's one of the better cuts in the movie. Um, but also like there's like this breezy feeling uh, throughout uh, a lot of the earlier scenes too. That that you know smell of Godard. <laughs> I think that Godard should have made a monster truck movie. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, Corey, I really agree with um the explosion in that opening sequence, like in uh, in Jerusalem. It was really funny when I was watching it when the when the three dudes were just like sitting there outside for a second. Then they got on the bus. I was like, oh, no, like one of them left their bag there. Shit. <laughs> that would really suck to happen. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> and then uh, they're on the bus and I was like, oh, shit, like definitely left the bag there for a reason. And then it was like kind of that long shot, like of the building where they had left. And I was like, oh, fuck, there's definitely going to be an explosion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They do like yeah, a yeah. really good job at like framing that and leading you on yeah and i also think like every every actor that we have in this like core quartet 
really sort of like elevates all the things that they're doing. A good example of this, I feel like, is the first time the sorcerer truck has its wheel like break through that not the bridge, not the titular bridge, but the earlier one where just the one wheel gets stuck. Oh, that was and so they're fun. trying to get somebody to drive across it and somebody to navigate, and they're just like like the tension ratchets up so high and it's so early in the journey that you're like, they can't begin to this point already, but just like the, like the, the frenzied faces and just the like, fuck you, man, you do it. Like just the energy radiating out of this terrible situation. Yeah. And, and the, they, their backs are against the wall and they're just like, I got to deal with this fucking guy and fucking like, Hmm. And like the musical yeah. cues as each thing happens, I I noticed like during that sequence, like when the tree comes into the frame, you kind of get like that like higher pitch. It almost sounds like a light being shined on like a gem, like like you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like that sort of that sort of like comes in with the soundtrack. It's so good. Um, but also like it sort of has that spooky sort of sound of like a sorcerer of like witchcraft and like fate. Uh, the music does have a like fan coming in. Yeah, the synthetic music. That's a weird. I know uh, that's yeah. what synth means, but just a weird way to say that. Yeah. But like this, the 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 tone of the music really does add this kind of like fantastical, and it's also just so um, uh, like sonically incongruous with what's happening. Mm. Like you're looking at a very rundown machine in a very dire situation and you're hearing like very sort of spaced out by comparison, like futuristic sounds. Obviously the music itself feels right, but just like that tone this of rustic it, beast the, of a machine that's like roaring yeah, and snorting. Just yeah. To get over this and like the tension between that very like base level truck in the kind of more elevated music yeah. i think i don't and i don't mean elevated in the way that people say like elevated horror now as if that's a thing but like <laughs> just that they're operating in two different yeah. ways uh did i did i mention how tangerine dream got involved with this i don't think oh. so but i'd love to hear it shout out to uh the 1600 people that have been in tangerine dream since that band started <laughs> no so um in the earlier in the 70s when Friedkin had just made the exorcist he was uh, touring Germany and he heard about this great sort of uh, synthetic bed, like synthetic elect- electronic like, music. I guess at that point, and they'd be, they'd be doing like, uh, like crowd yeah, rock. More crowd rock and, at that point. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he heard about them and they were doing like this music in a, in a abandoned church basement in the middle of the black forest. And he went and like saw them put on, like a, a show there and he met them and this was when they were fairly unknown and he got their contact info and was like, you know, when I make a movie and I think that they're right for it, I'm going to, I'll give them a call. And it turned out to be this. And as Friedkin was like shooting in the Dominican Republic, they were sending him, well, they originally sent him like big, I guess, um, like not like tapes, like cassettes, but like those wheels, um, like a, I don't know what the word is, like an eight track sort of thing they they sent him uh, like those but he couldn't listen to them in, in the, the middle of the jungle so he had it sent into Mexico City and then they shipped it back as like a cassette and he just like listened to the music that they had given him as he shot the film um wild that that would lead to a collaboration almost as iconic as a legendary producer Mitchell Kodrowski's affiliation with Go Long yeah wow oh yeah, that guy <laughs> <laughs> tell me tell me more <laughs> that guy man 
So uh, I, I have one natural question for half the people on this call. Um, Cam and Liam, when are your bands going to start scoring movies? Frig. Um, whenever Mitch asks me to, I guess. Yeah, I guess whenever, whenever an offer comes in. I score movies all the time. When I'm watching them on the TV, I just play my guitar to them. So I'm ready to go Hell if anyone's yeah. listening. That's like the Neil Young with um, Dead Man vibes. <laughs> Let's go. Corey, you got anything in mind? You want to make a um, movie? Uh, we could just go back through all of those uh, softcore Japanese pornos we talked about. <laughs> yeah. Rescore some of those. <laughs> uh, see, we really thought this could use some emo music, so what we did is... <laughs> <laughs> I actually would love to create music myself as like a as like an accompaniment to an already existing like visual thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. That would be like so like take the exciting. visuals and like riff on them. Yeah, well, I don't know, J- just as as somebody who's who makes music for the sake of like making music, I think it would be a very refreshing perspective change to like have different intent where it's not the focus. I don't know. Right. Yeah. That'd be cool. So yeah, Mitch and I are going to go shoot some shit. We're going to give it to both of you and you guys are going to just figure yeah, it out. Yeah, figure it out, man. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm totally in. <laughs> <laughs> That's sick. Um, it's, it's funny. I feel like this happens sometimes when like we see a movie that we all generally like on the show, but I'm like, what else am I supposed to say? That's not just man. It's, it's pretty, pretty good. Fucking great. Like it's pretty fucking great. If you haven't seen this movie, movie if you haven't seen this movie and you're already like here listening this far, I feel like we've spoiled it all for you, and you probably should have just like not listened to it. And yeah, just this seen would, the fucking movie. This would be a good episode for like a disclaimer before to like you should really watch it before listening. Well, to this. you're not getting one. We never do give one. <laughs> um, <laughs> we always ruin. Yeah. The yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's it's like it's literally well, actually we didn't what, discuss the ending in this one. Like the allow me to uh, do yeah, that. Really so, I, already, um, I already said that everyone dies. So yeah, but like maybe well, you just meant like we cut we cut to forty years later. It's the end of we Roy Scheider's natural life. We don't know if Roy Scheider dies. Like one of the Friedkin's sort of calling it's cards is the ambiguous implied. ending, right? I mean, two assassins go into the yeah. Bar. I mean, there, there's no way two assassins from New Jersey show up in Columbia that know that he's there. There's a gunfire shot, but they definitely it might know. be a gunfire. They really shot know. into the roof to scare him. <laughs> I know this it's ambiguous, last but it's obviously fucking. Roy Scheider dying. That, that like, wouldn't scare him anymore because now the only thing he's scared of is trucks. <laughs> I'm not driving ever again. But the, the, I love the ending, how there's this this surreal quality when he's made it and he's sitting with the businessman smoking a in a clean, in a clean white suit with the first time we see him in clean clothing. Uh, and his his sort of soft because his old clothes were morally yeah. dirty because he was killing, killing a priest. People, yeah, and his and his sort of <laughs> so soft blue true, eyes are, look so empty, and <laughs> and he's like, I've just seen shit. I killed a man with a shovel. Like, what have I done? And uh, yeah, the, and then he starts dancing with that woman at, at the bar, and and to like swing music, and it's, it's very surreal. Like it it seems like it almost like wouldn't happen or isn't happening, or that there's like a element that's up for interpretation and then these guys from new jersey come in like it's all so fantastical and implausible from a movie that is otherwise pretty grounded 
I think it's I think the only thing that really makes it surreal is that it's like basically the only moment of peace in the entire movie True. and then it's quickly interrupted by him getting murdered. Yeah, by fate. <laughs> yup. Yup. Uh I have a fun update. I'm on the Wikipedia page for the movie and there's a section called top film lists. It's just people who have listed the movie on their top film lists. And who would who's fourth on this list but none other than Benny Safdie? Interesting. Wow. Oh, really? it's on, Let's it, go. It's on his twenty it's on his twenty twelve sight and sound personal top ten film. Oh, okay. It's Let's my favorite Friedkin. Go. It's definitely my favorite Friedkin. Be on it. I know doubt. this is this is Stephen King's number one favorite movie. Oh yeah. it is? It is, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I totally see it. It kind of feels like early Stephen King like thriller in a way or like paperback. Yeah, I would that that's why uh I said, you know, the novel thing at the beginning, how I would I would like to read it because Lord knows I've read Stephen King books that go on and on and on before they get to the good stuff. Like Cujo, everyone knows the premise of Cujo, and it takes oh my what two, three hundred pages before oh, he it gets that to that when point. He was hammered too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was three hundred pages before the dog shows up. Totally. And then you just like keep cutting <laughs> away to talk about uh mar- serial marketing and stuff. And it's well, he doesn't just even like, remember writing Cujo, but it works, Mitch. Yeah. I think it's a riveting book, and so I would I would be super down to read a Stephen King adaptation of Sorcerer. And the more you guys have talked about the A twenty four, and and now with the confirmed Safdie love, I honestly would not I'm be so surprised if that. they if this gets a remake, um, and then we could do it on the podcast again in a more justified. <laughs> yeah, I, I at least think I at least think this is definitely due for like a another like reimagining you know i don't like i think the like the original i think in a lot of ways is a better movie in some ways it's not like i think like the the bridge crossing scene in this movie will never be surpassed oh my god uh, so fucking i can't sick. believe i can't believe they have the audacity to do it twice in the same yeah. movie and it's better the second <laughs> yeah. yeah no I, <laughs> I love that you get through the bridge sequence and then it's like oh fuck i guess the other guy is like, just like Whoo, taking a breath it's like well because you thought they went a different way you thought yeah, you took no. they took a different route and then they just come back to the bridge and you're like mother Fuck. <laughs> like, and they're like, oh, fuck, like, we got to go over it now. <laughs> one thing that pissed me off is the second crossing when the guy falls through and then he's behind the wheel and he's like, wait, where'd you go? Where'd you go? It's like, where the I fuck did you see you? you? <laughs> yeah. and, then, uh, and then they get hit by like a, like an entire forest's worth of trees. You're just like, oh, fuck. Okay. That, okay. What? Yeah, that to me was bringing off a vibe. This is something I was thinking about while watching it, but I forgot to mention it must just be the fact that like it's called sorcerer and that kind of fate thing. But this, the, the journey in this movie was giving me big time, like D and D vibes at points. (laughs) It's crisis after crisis, right? It's just like, yeah. yeah, And you're just like, and they're just fucking like rolling the dice. I don't know. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah, You you encounter a bridge. What do you do? Tree appears like it literally yeah. seems like it's fucking like a geomancer casting yeah. that tree out of nowhere. I didn't notice it follow it like falling <laughs> yeah. suddenly. They should have called the movie Geomancer. Like, What's in the truck? And he's like, supplies, wonder bread, and it's like speech check failed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, seriously though. That actually it, yeah. it, it really was like giving off those those kind of vibes for a bit i don't know again guys being dudes <laughs> yeah seriously like what's the fucking do you guys are you guys familiar with D? what's like the what's that one game um that takes place in like a is it like tomb of horrors or something uh, i have no idea that sounds sick. yeah yeah to- tomb of horrors in D. it's just like 
it was one of them like actually written by Gary Gygax that uh takes place in like a extremely perilous dungeon that is just like designed to kill you at every turn and it's like really really fucked and impossible pretty much to finish um and it was just giving me those vibes like mm-hmm. it's like if you were going into a situation in D with underleveled characters and you were just like wow like i'm definitely gonna die at some point here like let's see how far we can make it i don't know it was interesting D similarly literally a game of fate you're it's yeah built around dice rolling yeah exactly um but you know i i uh i really think sorcerer is great um it lived up to the hype because again i've been meaning to see it for a really long time so it's one of those things where you can kind of build it up in your head a little bit and then if it's not quite what you're looking for you're just sort of like oh well fucking whatever um kind of disappointing but no i think uh I think even the stuff that we haven't addressed as much, like the more commentary on the way that like this foreign oil conglomerate is kind of crushing this village and just like making it impossible for like eking out an actual living there. Like it's still effective, if not the primary focus of the movie. Um, I th- and I mean, everybody else, sorry, but everybody no, else who even ends up there in the first place is largely there because they were suffering from some kind of, discontent at like the structures in which they live in the first place if you're literally committing terrorism yeah or like robbing rival gangs or like committing fraud like you were already chafing at the at the bounds regardless and then to be put in a situation where those are like in the starkest terms where like people are getting pierced to death by oil pipes and nobody stops working like absolutely yeah and i i think the brutality of it is um of like just i i really appreciate in movies like this when it's a depiction of like the raw brutality and horror of the living circumstances not so much as like trying to pick apart the nuance and like have something to say or whatever like obviously that's that's all great too but in a movie like this I still think without being as like explicitly well, I, I haven't seen the wages of fear from what you Mitch should say. It's not, yeah, I will now. Yeah. It's, it's, um, but like Mitch was saying, not as explicitly, uh, it's much more explicitly anti-capitalist than sorcerer. Um, I would definitely still call sorcerer, like a movie that has an edge like that. It's just telling the story in a different way. It's just like a mm-hmm. raw depiction of like the brutality of living circumstances, um, under those conditions. And, and I think that's I think that's just as effective in a different way. Yeah, definitely. There's it's it's just like a a wonderful movie. I it if you thought we liked capitalism before on this podcast, you don't anymore. <laughs> Are we gonna get blacklisted? <laughs> We're scaring away all our potential future sponsors. <laughs> McCarthy has locked up. <laughs> fuck yeah i was saying that to (laughs) made a crack to that about mitch when we were watching it he mentioned that like wages of fear had so much cut because it was like anti-american or whatever and it was like oh fuck that was only communism that censors everything Ugh. (laughs) am i right (laughs) yeah yeah is that is that all we got fellas have 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 we sorcerered yeah is it time for the big reveal? Yeah, big reveal. Big Bobby. reveal! <laughs> Can we want reveal? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a reveal. <laughs> I'm 
is the most deeply <laughs> what I want you to picture is like a six foot four baby <laughs> I think the depiction of like raw horrible living conditions under American imperialism was very effective without having to provide such explicit commentary and now I want my reveal <laughs> <laughs> Cameron waiting for this reveal is as oppressive as living under American <laughs> Coca-Cola <Exactly>. capitalism. <laughs> These things are equally bad. Um, Fuck. Okay, Liam. Our, okay. Uh, speaking of fate, you're about to determine ours. That's absolutely right. Ooh. So, He's the sorcerer. Uh, you've, you've been summoned to sorcerer. Sorcerer. <laughs> Call me, me Geomancer. Source of me a new movie to watch, please. Cinema, you're the cin- you're the Cinemancer. And uh, another look behind the curtain. Um, we're going to record this episode much uh, in much quicker succession than we normally do. So I am basically determining your guys tonight or tomorrow. What right? I'm doing tomorrow so, night pretty much is what you're deciding. Wonderful power. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, court. Remember what they say about power. It makes you get in a big truck. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so normally we would be doing Scream next week, and, uh, you know, that would be my pick if I had a pick, but we weren't even going to pick. We were just going to do it because we're all excited about it, um, and it's not going to happen. So I feel like I have big shoes to fill here. Uh, I want to be talking about Scream next week. Maybe some of you listeners won't want to be hearing us talk about Scream, and uh, we can't do it. So I'm thinking, what can I do for my first ever uh, pick? where I can be the sorcerer of my, my co-host's fate. Cameron, you're welcome to join us for this as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I decided that I should fill a uh, a horror hole that has not been filled yet. Fill my horror hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not just... Not just... Uh, fill my horror hole! <laughs> And uh, like the horrors that Scanlan talks about uh, in this movie, it's not going to just be two horror holes. It's gonna, it's, it's, gonna, it's not just going to be one horror hole. It's gonna be two. Um, so I thought, I thought, man, I love Scream so much. What else do I love so much in the horror world? And there are a few franchises um, that we haven't yet got to. We've got to a lot of big ones, but there are a few that we haven't yet got to. Stuff like Paranormal Activity saw we've never done before um charles we haven't done what's charles chucky oh right right, right. <laughs> chucky. did you guys ever do evil dead we did do we did the remake of evil dead yeah oh um, shit gotta but do we evil dead too yeah we, we gotta go back as well that would be a lot of fun <laughs> um but yes i'm gonna i'm gonna tap into untapped ground here and uh we are going to get a visit from one of my favorite horror villains and one of my favorite horror franchises, um, and that is the Charles franchise, Corey. Ooh. And, Which one? Uh, that is, so that is the Child's Play franchise, for anyone who doesn't know. Is it Charles um, III? And I have Great decided monarch. it's not an easy decision. There are a whole lot of Child's Play movies, uh, so many that they started calling them Chucky, and then they started calling them Child's Play again. And then there's a Chucky TV series. Um, Charles Play is what they should start calling them. <laughs> yeah, now. maybe Charlie maybe plays. it'll happen. It'll happen when they when they do the the crossover. Um, but I've decided that I want to start you guys off right um, 
And that doesn't necessarily mean the quality of the movie. It just means that if you can't watch the original, why not get caught up as best you can? And so I would love it if we talked about Child's Play 2 uh, for next recording. That is my Charles pick. Is Child's Play 2. Charles is <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. I got to guess for a while there. I thought you were going to say, that's why I'm making you watch a season of television. <laughs> oh, no, no. Not yeah, a we have problems if you did that, that to, to me. Yeah. You've got that power, though. I will say, too, when you were setting up this, filling the scream hole, I thought you were going to maybe, I thought you were maybe going <laughs> to fill my scream hole. <laughs> I thought, fill it, please. <laughs> scream. <laughs> I thought you were maybe going to say new nightmare. Mm. Yeah, uh, one day. One day. It's consistent with those things. But yeah, ch- uh, Child's Play 2. Yep. That's pretty sick. I don't know anything about that movie. Yeah, I'm excited to hear what uh what you guys think. Oh man, didn't didn't they just remake that too before the TV show even happened? They did, and I was strongly considering it was between that one and Child's Play Two. Um, and I figured that I would I would like to, if you guys haven't seen any Chucky movies, um, I would like to show you one from the original franchise, and then I'll definitely have us watch the uh the remake because the remake is in a totally different universe timeline from different creators than the the whole rest of the series everything has been made um by one guy in a creative position uh except for that last remake so it's sort of a different beast okay well there you go if anybody wants to follow along we will be doing uh child's play 2 next week um and uh i'm sure that's streaming somewhere i don't know it's probably on shutter or something I'd be surprised if it weren't readily available, but you can check that out. Um, but with that all sorted, we're gonna, you know, uh, we're just gonna go think about all the kinds of different truck hijinks we can get up to in the future if we so chose. Well, coal and <laughs> trucks. Oh uh, uh, God. Um. Well. Uh. Before we go, Cam, I know you've got a uh, you've got some some tunes you might want to plug. Anything you want to give a shout out here? Oh, thanks. Uh. Yeah, um last Friday we put out um my my band Go Long put out a live release. It's the first two songs from our first show that we had um at Live on Elgin in December. Uh it is mixed by um a good friend and incredibly talented artist Michael Watson. They um you can find their Instagram handle at Plastic Farm. Uh, That's good. Highly recommend um, reaching out if you need anything mixed because it sounds fucking amazing. Uh, and my very good friend Kat did the artwork. Her artist page is Cat is Evil on Instagram, and um, they both both of them also did a. Uh, those same roles for a new single not live like an actual new single that we have coming out this friday called fade out that'll be everywhere so Ooh. um check that out on in friday. mere days you can listen to that yeah 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 so all those links will be in the description uh for go long if you want to check those out thanks Corey. appreciate it yeah absolutely and um uh mitch do you have anything you'd like to plug if you're doing the walking <laughs> away bit you're muted and we can't hear it <laughs> I think he walked away without realizing he was <laughs> muted still. That's hilarious. <laughs> I don't think that's happened before. 
Uh, Liam, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, you guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow. Do you want to plug your rival band? Oh, yeah. My rival band. <laughs> 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 yeah, you can you can find my band uh, playing in the same venue as Cam's band next week. We're going to be on opposite ends of the venue and battling like that scene in Scott Pilgrim. It'll be great. Um, my, my band is called Guest Room Status uh, on Facebook and Instagram, Bandcamp, Spotify. And uh, we play like emo rock music. And we have an EP out that Corey took the, the cover photo for. Um, so if you want to see what my back looks like, you can you can check out that. That's that <laughs> if you want to see yeah. a part of the room I live in right now. <laughs> that's right. It's the podcast room now. It's uh yeah, a lot of stuff has yeah. happened in that room. So look at it and imagine. I, I bet. Let's just say some truck holes cuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh Let's God. just say there was some screaming going on. I honestly, I can't get over what a good road trip movie sorcerer is. <laughs> I want to do Sorcerer in real life. A woad twist. Dude, honestly, <laughs> I, I should have mentioned this earlier, but um, when you guys were talking about... Did you do this in real life? No, 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 no. But when you guys were talking about how it's a dudes being bros movie and uh, and it's just like happening, I was thinking how sick a Sorcerer reality show would be where it's just like they get, they oh get a group of dudes that are willing to Jenny do it. Jenny and Tamara are carrying nitroglycerin through the yeah. Chilean mountains. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like naked and afraid <laughs> except truck stuff. Yes, Imagine. queen, we're gonna win. It's nine o'clock in Paris. <laughs> if you if you get to the if you get to to the end with the nitroglycerin intact, you get to go on a date with Chad. You get to go <laughs> on a Mediterranean cruise with Chad. So I'm sitting in a truck with this fucking idiot. We get across. <laughs> This insane bridge. I don't even know why we're here. Just fucking underneath the truck. We come across a massive fucking tree just in the middle of the road. Like, what am I supposed to So much fail. Like, I don't know. Then he starts pointing his fucking gun at me, and I'm like, are you kidding me, man? How'd you even get that here? Oh, my God. Um, Holy shit. Uh, That's a free idea. Uh, You can call us if you want that, producers. Um, That's what I'll write my score for. Sorcerer reality show. Dude, Sorcerer, yeah. it is an it is an untapped franchise. If people didn't realize the the franchise potential it has before this podcast, I think they'll reveal it now. Somebody just called Billy Freed. Also, dude, imagine A twenty four Sorcerer, but it's not a remake. It's a sequel, and it turns turns out that Rob, uh, what's his name, Rob Schneider. Roy. <laughs> Roy Schneider. Rob Schneider makes my favorite sausages. <laughs> um, his character didn't actually get shot at the end, and so it's like a Halloween type situation where it's forty years later, he's and he's traumatized by the truck stuff, but he has to do it one more time. The truck. Oh, you know what he has to do? Do you, do you know where he goes? It's it's like it's like the movie Duel, and he goes to he goes to a Dodge dealership during Truck Month, and he has to. He has to destroy all the trucks <laughs> because they're com- because they're coming to get him. And then a meteor <laughs> flies over the earth. I'd really love like a nice like wholesome romantic sequel where Roy Scheider like his character does turn out to be alive and in like he. <laughs> He like falls in love with like a really nice gal who helps him get over his fear of crossing bridges. He falls and in trucks. love with a, 
<laughs> I fell in love with a really nice truck. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm picturing sake. it. I'm picturing it like. Uh, is it called uh, a Titan? No, yeah, Titan sorcerer. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like the sequel would be like a, a mix between Titan and all that jazz because Shadows in that. Oh, <laughs> you have some God. musical sequences. Jessica God, Lang's fuck. in it. She's yeah, great. She's the truck. Yeah. <laughs> um, holy shit! Well, we're, guys, we're sitting on all this gold. I think uh, you know people can pick through what they would like to make, and uh, we'll score it if you want. Um, before we get out of here, um, if you want to look me up on the internet, you can do that. Um, it's uh, at Mr. Corey Price on Twitter and Letterboxd. And if you want to hear me talk about things that don't generally have trucks in them, uh, I do a podcast called MK PodQuest with uh, our friend Neil talking about a bunch of Mortal Kombat ephemera type stuff. We're working our way through Mortal Kombat Legacy Season 2 right now. That's mkpodquest.com. And uh, thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word, and on Letterboxd, that T-M-A-O. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and what kind of spinoff of Sorcerer you would make if you had creative control. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson, who you can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. And with all that out of the way, we'll catch you here next week for Child's Play 2 on They Made Another One. They made another one?